So I can summarize our morning conversation in this way. Hope makes you enjoy. When you don't have hope, it is almost impossible for you to enjoy. Meaning, checking what you hope for or what has informed your hope will influence and shape how you enjoy. Let me say that again. Figuring out where you get your hope will completely inform how you endure through things. So as we are having this conversation this morning, I want you to start poking around where your hope is. Or who do you hope in? And why do you put that hope in the thing you put your hope in? Now, we've been going through this relationship goal series, and I don't know about you, it's been doing things to me. Hey, it's, uh, it's addressing some things that the Lord has had me working on in a while. And, and I want us to just be real this morning to say that this life is hard. This life is complicated. And because of that, we are so creative as people created by God, but in our creativity that's informed by our depravity, we try to create things that give us hope that cannot sustain that hope. Because we are broken people, we find ways to cope with the misery of this world. And for some of us, the way we are coping is what we intake. From food to drugs to gossip. For some of us, is what we give. Because our identity is in what we give. We give our bodies. We're giving our sexuality. We're giving our resources. And we're giving all these other things. So my challenge to you this morning is, it's not if, it's when things that can harm you show up. Where are you going to get your hope? Who is filling your hope cup, if I were to ask that question? Is it Jesus or your favorite preacher? Is it Jesus or your favorite book? Is it Jesus or your experience? Is it Jesus or your favorite Hillsong album? Who is actually filling your cup with hope? Who? Now, when we read the chapter we've been sitting in, last, last week, Pastor Half brought the word home and was just sitting on love bears all things, right? And, and we're going to read that same conversation because my, my job is to look at how hope influences how we enjoy. And that the moments we don't have hope are the moments we give up. Are the moments we walk away from things that would make us grow. Things that will shape us and make us more like Jesus. And the reality of life is 
God is literally working all things together for your good. Not some things. Not the things you feel like you have the permission to ask God to have and to use to shape you. No, no, no. The Bible says that God is going to use all things. He's using all things, even the uncomfortable, even the painful, even the ones you just want God to rupture you from. God is using all things. So 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm empty. And if I have prophetic powers, if I'm gifted, if I understand deep truth and I can drop bars and you can go like, wow, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have because it's good to give, because Malau is poor, because I'm a good person, if I give all that I have but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away the influence, my body, to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Because this is what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, when we're thinking about hope in our everyday life, is like, I hope you would come to church. I hope you're going to make it back when you go where you're going. I hope we're going to have power today. Amen. I hope. So, so in our everyday language, hope becomes almost like wishful thinking. There are, yeah, I have this wishful thinking that it's going to work out, that they're not going to fire me. Hey, man. They're like I'm going to deliver that project, that I'm going to make sure everything works out. In our everyday language, it carries a level of uncertainty and a lack of assurance. We're not actually sure if it's going to happen. But we, we hope it's going to happen. I hope that business is going to go through. I hope we'll stay married forever. I hope in our daily language. That's what hope sounds like. Wishful thinking. But also it, it reveals what we hold dear. When we're talking about hope in our everyday, it it reveals what, what our hearts are pursuing. That I, I hold this thing so dear, so I hope everything is going to work out. I hope it's going to come through. I hope it's going to be amazing. I hope, I hope, I hope. And, and to, to a distance in our hearts is still like a wishful thinking. We are not sure if that will go through. Hope in our everyday language exposes our fears. I don't know about you, but it exposes what you're afraid about. So when you're talking, you're talking about, hey man, I hope this won't happen to me. I hope I won't get sick. I hope 
I'll be fine. I hope I'll finish my degree. I hope, I hope, I hope. So hope carries a sense of revelation that this is a thing we hold dear, but also this is what we are afraid about. I hope this relationship is going to wake out, not like the last three. You know what I mean? Like, this just going to, Jesus is going to show up and do stuff in a different way this time. And Jesus is like, you're the one to do different stuff this time. I hope it's going to work out. Hope in our everyday language shows, shows how rooted in our pursuits we are. And a lot of us, we are pursuing so much. We're pursuing work so much that we hope work will work out so that our family will be happy. But in our process, we're pursuing our work so much that we're ignoring the family. Can I just go down that road a little bit? Some of us, we're having our hope in how we look. So our time, our resources, everything goes to how we look because the way we look is more important in our business, in our life. It's all about branding, baby. So, so we push, and, 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 and sadly, we're putting our hope in something that cannot sustain us, something that cannot carry us. All these things are amazing and are beautiful, but we don't put our hopes in what people think about us and how they perceive us, how, how they want us to be looked at. Hope. First Corinthians 15, 19 says, If in this life, only you have hope. You're miserable. If your hope ends with this life, man, we should be sad for you. Because if your hope is simply in this life, then life is quite empty. Life is a little bit more exhausting if, if your hope is simply in this life. And some of us, we have hope that we'll be with Jesus, but we live as if our hope is only in this life. So the way we spend our money, our time, the way we invest in relationships, the way we pursue relationships. You got one life to live, right? You only live once, right? It's things that we probably in the language might have be been past them, but realistically, those conversations are deeply rooted in who we are. That the way we pursue work is you only live once. The way we pursue church, you only live once. The way we pursue and whatever we do with our money, you only, you only, you only. And Paul goes, man, that is really sad. You know you can live in this world fully if you fully trust in Jesus. I need to put the mic close to my mouth? Come on, man. What's wrong with you? If in this life only you have hope, you all, all people must be miserable. So when you summarize your life and you have places where you feel miserable, is that misery coming because... Your hope is simply in what you can see and what you can hold and what you can have today. 
our hope in Jesus is more like love. In Jesus, our hope is not crossing fingers. It's confidence that he's true. It's confidence that is true. Our hope in Jesus, let's go to the next slide, please, is not wishful thinking. Our hope is not faith in the what ifs. And that's my definition of fear as well. Fear is not the absence of faith. I think fear is our confidence in the what ifs. What if it doesn't work out? What if I've been out? What if, what if, what if, what if? So to an extent, you're still expressing fear. It's just in the what ifs. And the what ifs can drive you crazy. They can break you. That can mess with your head. Now, there are moments and seasons that you need to ask that question. Okay, what if? So that you are aware and you plan. But sometimes we literally build our entire lives on the what ifs. And it breaks us. We don't enjoy the moment. We don't enjoy the season. We don't enjoy the blessings. We don't enjoy the relationship. Because instead of enjoying the relationship and exploring each other, you are spending what if it's like the last one. What if it's like what I've been through? That started well as well, but it didn't end well. So instead of enjoying and knowing the person you have now, you are still stuck in the what ifs. Our hope in Jesus is looking at the present and the future through God's word. Not through our experiences. Because as far as you have done life, but your experiences are super limited compared to what God has revealed in his word. And you have to face that. You have to face that. I don't know if you guys have watched a lot of X-Men, but I'm thinking about Magneto, right? The bad guy, the guy that can control metal. If you haven't watched X-Men, um, how do I put this? There's this guy in X-Men who's technically a bad guy, but he has powers and he's a mutant. And this guy, his power is to control metal. And later on, he controls even the ground and other things. But everything that's made of metal, he's able to control. But when you start tracing how he got to that place of being angry, and abusing his power, was because his mother was killed. And the people that killed his mother wanted to push him to become a bad guy. So, killed his mom, and he became this monster. But after a while, he went back to being a cool guy. And after he went back to being a cool guy, he found a normal job. He got a family, and he got married, and got a kid. And somehow, police came and killed the kid and the wife. They were trying to arrest him, but because the daughter also had powers and all these other things were going on and they freaked out and they killed the daughter accidentally together with the wife. In that moment, he gave up. Now, life can do a magneto on you. 
Life can literally just break you moment after moment, season after season, situation after situation. And for some of you, that's where you've been at. This faith Jesus thing doesn't make sense. Because if God is really good, then why is there so much pain, right? Why is it a little bit more complicated? But our hope in Jesus is not without the pain. Because Jesus goes to the cross to agree with you that this world is really messed up. That this world really has pain. For example, lately, some of our New Year resolutions were about cutting off toxic people, right? But a new one, yeah? That has been, it's like saddle. It's like, yo, if, if these people are not there for you in your low moments, then they're not your really good friends. They're not your real friends. Real friends stick with you through thick and thin, right? There are all these things going on online. Like, we, we just say it. Like, yo, these are my family, man. My gang was there for me. Uh, and, and I don't know how you say it. But if we were to use that kind of conversation, right, that real friends are only the friends that are there for you, even in your lowest moments, then Jesus would be friendless. Because his lowest moments, all his friends denied him. All his friends walked away and said, we don't know this guy. We, uh, we don't know him. He is, nah, we don't know him. And, and the difference with Jesus, the, the hope of Jesus, the hope we find in Jesus, is that when Jesus rose from the dead, the reason why we have church. When Jesus rose from the dead, guess who he went back to? Those same people that said we don't know him. Those same people that rejected him. And what did he do? He extended a hand. And I remember Peter. Because Peter is a famous denier, right? Like three times. Like, dude, I don't know that dude. And then he cursed a little bit. I don't know him. What do you think? No, my hairstyle is different. Mine is longer. His is different. He's got dreads or something. He denied Jesus. And when Jesus shows back up, he asked Peter three questions, three times. He says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Peter, do you love me? And he asked Peter again, the same guy that denied Jesus three times, asked him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, only you know, Lord. Only you know. Because life is complicated than your lowest moment. That sometimes in our lowest moments, all of our other bodies are going through their lowest moments. But because we are people that love to measure up, everyone shows up at church as if they got everything together. So when you feel like you're dying, you look at all of us, it looks like we're having a party. Party after party. Yeah. So it looks like we're having a party and we're going hard. But realistically, all of us are in places where it's a little bit more complicated. Now, Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith and hope. Faith is rooted in God's word. Hope 
is rooted in God's Word. In a lot of ways, we can even say hope is faith in the future. Faith for the future. Now, when you don't have that clear in your head, it gets a little bit more complicated. Now, John Piper said this. Biblical hope is not just a desire for something good in the future, like wishful thinking, like the way we like, I want something good, but rather biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. The difference is the confident expectation. Because that confidence is not in our ability. The confidence we place is in who God is. Who actually says, you might be faithless, but God will still be faithful because he cannot deny himself. Our confidence is in a God who, despite you being faithless, despite you not knowing what to do, despite you and me not measuring up, despite you and me not having control, still chooses to be faithful. That God's faithfulness is not dependent on how faithful you are. It's who he is. Faithful. And, and somehow, we've created theologies and belief systems that feel like we're manipulating God. That unless we just have this language that will convince God to do what we need exactly. And when that God doesn't do what we need exactly, we say maybe God is not real. Have you ever been there? But what actually has happened is you have created God in your own image, right? That God has to be one, two, three, four, five. If he's not this in my situation, he's not a God that I like. He's not a God I want. He's not a God I want to relate to. And for a lot of us, our moments of doubt, our seasons of doubt, has nothing to do with how God has revealed himself in his word. Has everything to do with, based on our experience and what we were taught, this is who God is. God helps those who help themselves. If you find it, I'll be fired as a pastor. The day you find that verse, I'm going to walk out of this church. Because it's not in the Bible. God does not help those that help themselves. What do you mean? Like that's John 15, verse 12? No, it's not in the Bible. Are there conversations where God wants you to be responsible? Where God wants you to make sure you create boundaries? That God wants you to work hard? Dude, that's the whole gospel. The whole gospel is Jesus died on the cross for you so you could have life, life abundantly. And then you become someone that believes in the mission that God gave you. Because you have put your hope in Jesus. And what's the mission? The mission is go to the whole world and make what? Disciples. How? Uh, how do you want to do it? I've given you the mission. Like, yeah, the mission, I understand it, Jesus. Like, I'm going to go to the whole world and make disciples. How? Like, aren't you a lawyer? Aren't you a doctor? Aren't you a teacher? Aren't you a street sweeper? That's how you make disciples. Like, no, 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 no. We make disciples by becoming pastors, Jesus. What's wrong with you? Like, no. You make disciples by believing in me and knowing that you're a salt and light of the world. So as salt, as you go to your business, you sort and light that thing. 
a sudden light, you go back to your workplace. You sort and light that thing. You go back to that classroom, you sort and light that thing. That's literally what this whole thing is about. That our hope is a conviction, is a deep-rooted conviction in what God has said and who God is. And this is our hope. Our hope is that Jesus dismantled. Jesus dismantled the works of the enemy. Jesus dismantled the work of Satan. Jesus dismantled the work of the enemy. How did he do that? Jesus said a phrase that will make sense in a minute. That I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. Now, if you read your Bible, I encourage you to. I actually really want you to read your Bible as much as you can. You understand the history of humans. That when God created the world, everything was awesome. Everything was awesome. And when he did that, the enemy came through and deceived man. Basically, he was like, yo, you know you can also be God. You can know all things. You can do all things through Christ, probably, who gives you strength. I don't know how he phrased it, but the Bible clearly says the enemy showed up and offered an opportunity to these guys. That if you eat that fruit, it was not just the eating. It was if you disobeyed God, do you know you're going to be knowledgeable? Do you know you're going to be in control of your life? Do you know you're going to have fun? Do you know you're not going to have boundaries? You can do whatever you want, whatever your body wants, whatever your money wants. Do you know if you eat that fruit, you're going to do that? So they did the thing. And God pronounced curses. But as God was pronouncing that, he prophesied. When he was talking to the woman, and then he talked to the serpent, he said, your head will be crushed by the offspring of this woman. Right there from the beginning, God prophesying, talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus was going to come do. He was going to come and dismantle and crush the works of the enemy. And what are this? Disobedience. Works of disobedience. And don't we love to disobey? Don't we love to disobey? Simple stuff like traffic. If I can only just drive a little bit faster, it's orange, I know. But I can just... And, and, and I don't know about you, but the satisfaction when you get away with something. Like, shouldn't I feel sad that I've gotten away with a traffic thing? What am I saying? The enemy came and destroyed our ability to love, our ability to help each other, our ability to build life in a way that honors God. And from that moment, sin entered the world, and sin has defined humanity. Sin has shaped dreams. Sin has shaped families. Sin has shaped, sin has shaped, and everything was targeted until Jesus stepped in. So when Jesus came in, he lived the perfect life. 
Why? To fulfill God's law. And the Bible says, Jesus was tempted in every way. So I want you to think about your way that you get tempted. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. Are you tempted about money, lust, pride, anger, resentment? How are you tempted? Lying? Because lying feels like in that moment it will protect you and make you look different or better. And then Jesus went to the cross after fulfilling God's law, after living a life that did not carry anything, went to the cross and lived a perfect life. So that you and me, my friend, don't just feel like, oh, Jesus is an example. No, no, no. Jesus went to the cross so that he just doesn't become an example. He becomes Lord of all. That you and me, who are complicated, afraid, angry, selfish, God will look at us and say, you're righteous. Not because of what you have done, but because you have accepted my son into your life. That Jesus went to the cross, lived a righteous life before he did that, so that he, on the cross, he would say, everyone that believes in me, I'm giving them the righteousness that brought me to that cross. But I'm carrying their sins that were supposed to kill them, and those sins are going to kill me. So that's the transaction you have in Jesus. That Jesus handles you, hands you his righteousness. That perfect life he lived, Jesus hand, hands that to you. That righteousness that comes from that. And you know what Jesus picks up? That anger, that bitterness, that shame, that pride, that lust. Oh, that lust, come on now. All these things that we struggle with, Jesus says, come to me. All those that are tired and I'll give you rest. Rest from what? Sin. From slavery, from being in bondage of, yeah, of our sins. Come to me and I'll give you rest. So our hope is in that. Jesus came and died so we can have life. Jesus is not trying to save you. He did it. Jesus is not, not in heaven panicking. He did it. He died. He fulfilled God's desire for justice. But what do I mean by that? God is just. God is just. Meaning he'll not let a wrong go unpunished. So the wrongs you and I committed, Jesus took the punishment. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that amazing? Now, if you are here and you're like, man, this just doesn't make sense. Let, let me simplify it for you. Our righteousness, the good stuff we do, the demands we put on each other to measure up are not enough to get us to God. Now, that's where a lot of us, it messes us up. Because we're like, but that is a good person. But I'm a good person. I try my, my hardest. Yeah. It's not just the activity. It's the motive. It's the heart. That our heart is hard like a heart of stone. Ezekiel 36, 26. It says that in Jesus, we are given a new heart. Like the old heart of stone that doesn't want anything to do with God. That outrightly rebukes and rejects God is removed. And our past is completely gone because for 
Any person who is in Christ, they are a new person. The old is gone. What old? My selfish, pervert, angry, sad, prideful guy. That is gone because Jesus went to the cross and suffered the full wrath I deserved on my place and handed me life. And that life is not just a little bit. The Bible says life abundantly. Life that allows me to learn how to love, learn how to give. And that what I have is not based on my works. So I shouldn't be afraid of losing it. <laughs> because I was handed this life, this salvation by God, from God. And that is a gift. Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you've been saved. Grace is unmerited favor. Like, you, I didn't merit this. I didn't work hard for this. I, I wasn't clever enough to grab this. That's where our hope is. Our hope is Jesus dismantled the works of the enemy. Jesus secured our eternity. And sometimes we don't talk about eternity enough. But it's not always going to be like this. It's going to be better. And that's where our hope is. Our hope is one day we'll see Jesus face to face. Jeremy Kemp has a song called There Will Be a Day. I love it. And it says there will be a day where the troubles of this world will be no more and we'll see Jesus face to face. But until that day, I hold on to hope. I hold on to hope. Because we're living in there until that day. We're still broke. We still have to wrestle with coronavirus. We still have to fight AIDS. We still have to battle poverty, manipulation. We still have to battle all these other things. Until that day. Until that day. Now, I'm going to pause and give you a side note. Here at Flood, we love giving. Amen? And one of the amazing projects we are doing since last Tuesday is we're building a new victim support unit at the Blanta police station. Man, it's amazing. Uh, starting tomorrow, we're putting the roof. Yeah, we're already there. It's a, it's a big room. Uh, it's, we built it with blocks, and it's, it's looking amazing. It, we have windows up and, and the door frames. Uh, we'll be doing most of the final work this week, and it's amazing, and, and, and it's a kind thing to do. Because we believe in generosity, but we also believe in saving a city. We believe in saving a city. Uh, on 11th of April, we are doing an event. We're calling it the Blanta Picnic. I want you guys to be there. We're going to send more details on the church group, but you can go on our page. You'll find uh, some details. And the reason why we're doing this picnic vibe at Blanta Sports Club is we want to create a space for people to come and engage in live conversations. And our hope is you guys will be the on-foot evangelists. What does that mean? You guys will meet new people and ask them if you can pray for them. I'm not asking you to do anything complicated, but just saying, hey, man, good to see you. How can I pray for you? Meet a family. Meet a kid. Meet someone. Because this city is broken. And, and we already have, like, a gang of artists that have confirmed. We have Suffix who's going to join us. We have Kevin Singh who's going to be with us. We have Baraka. We have a bunch of guys. George Kalukusha is going to be there. And a bunch of our friends will be there. 
the thing is not to do cool events. That's not, that's not ever our goal. We believe in authenticity because authenticity trumps cool every day. And, and we want to create spaces where people can have real conversations about Jesus. People can ask tough questions about Jesus. Because some of us, we're in Jesus, but we still have tough questions that we have suppressed. Come on. We don't, we're not sure if we can go down that road. What am I saying? We want to create spaces and environments where people can come and know life and enjoy life from people that have been formed by Jesus. So I'm not asking you to stand on a pulpit and preach. I'm just asking you to show up and say hi. Because that's a good thing. But doing good stuff does not mean people will not take advantage of that. And that's where it gets messy for, for a lot of us. Like, I helped you. Why are you doing this? So I'm just going to leave this on the floor. Here at Flood, we have a vibe, a benevolence fund. Something that people that have needs, we respond to those needs. Here at Flood, that's what we do. We respond to needs. People that will come and ask you for cash after church or in church have probably been already helped. Or they will be helped if you send them our way. We want to love people together as a community. Because God called you into a family. And as a family member, we want to love you better. So if you have needs, talk to us. But if you see someone in need who's going around and asking for some help, please point them to us. We want to help. Because some of the money you guys give goes to helping people like that. Are you with me? Why are we saying this is important? Because we believe that everything that we have belongs to God. And that God not only secured how we live life now, but secured our eternity. That in Jesus, our eternity is secure. He paid the debt we owed God so that we don't live as slaves to sin. So when we have friends that are in need, when we have friends that are, have, have something they need, please bring them to us. We're already helping. We want to do this in a way that's healthy, that's loving to community, that's protecting of the community, and that's honoring everyone else. Are we together? So please, if you have a need, please point them to us. Because chances are we probably might have done something with them already. Or we are already about to do something. And we want to do it well. We want to do it in a way that honors them as an individual. Not as something that we need to give. Because we want people to still carry their dignity when they are receiving stuff from other people. But sometimes when we just throw cash around, especially to kids that come, which is already illegal in this country, it can get a little bit more complicated. So I'm begging you. Someone walks to you and says, I have a need. Ask them to meet me. Or where's Pastor Tia? He just went out with a kid. Cool. Meet Pastor Tia, who is a pastoral intern. Uh, or meet any of our leaders. Would love, would love to help more people. And when we're already doing uh, a few things and would want to do more. Um, and because Jesus paid our debt, we don't want to live as people who are in debt. We don't want to make our resources feel, make us feel like we're in debt. This is our hope. Jesus secured our eternity. 
But also Jesus calls us friends, and this is what our hope is. And this is what Jesus does. He's having a conversation with his disciples, and he says, I call you friends. I call you friends because friends know what's going on. So I'm telling you what my father is doing. Jesus revealed the plan that God has for the world. He did not keep it as a secret. He did not keep it for pastors to come with a revelation. Hello. As if we're the only ones that God has revealed his plan. The rest of you, you have to work extra hard or give me some tithes. Come on, man. Come on. You got to give that money. Or else God won't speak. Like, really, dude? Really? So everything is free, free, free. You save by grace, by, 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 then you get to money. God wants you to pay some money. Like, what's going on? What's going on? Jesus calls us friends. Jesus does not call you his worker. He calls you his friend. Actually, through his death, you're a sibling of Jesus. Then now you've been adopted into God's family. You did not belong to his family. But what Jesus did on the cross makes you part of his family if you put your faith in Jesus. So Jesus calls us friends. Even when we have moments of doubt and fear and we reject his way in that moment, Jesus calls us friends, calls us his friends, and wants his friends to come back to him. And some of us, we're not sure about that. Because the way our friendships are set up, commodity stuff, right? We've talked about that. We consume friends. We don't give stuff. If they don't give us, they're not good friends enough. But Jesus calls us friends. So when we hit a setback, a disappointment, a rejection from our African friends, we do not pay back. Because our hope is in the one who has made us friends. And he calls us to make other people our friends. Because those friends who experience the grace of God. Now, why is that important? Because I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Because when we don't sort that out, when we don't fully talk about our friendships, we turn people into projects. People are things we should tend to God. Not people to be known, to be loved, so that they can experience God. Are you getting that? People are statistics and details to be tend to God. Not people that are to be known, be loved, and be protected by God. And by us, people that know God. So this is our hope. This is where we put our hope. In lesson, God. For our hope is not in men. It is in God. It is in the unchanging God. The God who's never, ever subject to alteration. The God who has spoken and has spoken the truth and cannot speak anything other than truth. Is that the God you have your hope in? Because God is the one who gives us something to hope for. God is the one who gives us everything to hope for. And he gives us this good hope by grace. 
For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. That faith allows us to have hope in God because Jesus has secured our future, because Jesus has paid our debt, and because Jesus calls us friends. We have a hope that is laid out in Scripture, a hope that is true, Therefore, a hope that we can actually defend with our lives. It's defensible. Because it's not rooted in our abilities. It's rooted in who Jesus is. So when you're feeling like you don't have hope, remember that you cannot alter what God has done. Because that is finished. It is done. It's complete in God. Therefore, you can put your hope in a God who is faithful, even when you're faithless. So I'm going to throw a few things to you. That because we have hope in Jesus, who has made us fully secure, we endure. Because we have a God who calls us friends, we endure. Because we have a God that truly, fully knows us and still chooses us, we what? We endure. We do not hide our sins. Because he already knows. And he paid for our sin before we performed. So because of hope we endure, we don't give in to sin. For we know we are loved by a father. Amen. You know you are loved by God. You know you are known by God. So you endure when sin shows up. We endure present suffering because the Bible says our present suffering cannot be compared to the glory that has been set before us. Meaning, think about that like what suffering you have now can never be compared to what God has for you. Isn't that great? Because suffering messes up with me. I don't know about you guys. It, it almost limits what I can see and how I can hope. But Jesus is like, hey, hey, my hope, what I've done, and the place I'm preparing for you cannot be compared to what you're going through. To what you're going through today. So because of hope, we endure. We don't give in to sin. We hold on to Jesus. We see people as humans, not projects. We pray in faith. Our prayers are not just wishes. They are landing in a place of confidence in God. Who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can think or imagine. That's our confidence. So we pray in faith. We gather in hope. Oh, and I, and I love this because the Bible says, do not forsake gathering together. You show up when you're in doubt. You show up when you're discouraged. You show up. When it's a little bit more complicated, you show up. Because we have hope in Jesus that invites us to show up, not because things are together, but because he holds all things together. And, and, and the scripture says it this way. Do not forsake gathering, inspiring one another to love, encouraging one another to love, encouraging one another to serve. And there are days, man, there are days you're going to not feel like doing this Jesus thing. Guess who Jesus has for you to be encouraged? The person sitting next to you. So he says, dude, it's painful, 
but don't forsake gathering with others. It's complicated, but don't forsake gathering with others. Because of hope, we challenge, we don't quit, we fight temptation. And it's so easy to quit, man. Especially here, man. And I know I say this a lot, but systems here normally don't work. And it's easy for us to quit. But the gospel, the hope we find in Jesus, does not give us permission to do that. The hope we find in Jesus invites us to stand and to fight. To fight the unjust system. To fight the toxic workplaces. To fight in hope with love. After understanding what love is about. For love hopes all things. And endures all things. Now I have to make sure that you're not hearing me saying settle for less. No, no. Love does not want you to settle for less. In this country will force you to settle for less would demand you, would command you to say, sit here, this is what this country is about. No, man, don't do that. Because as sword and light, your invitation is to break those places and to make them more like Jesus. I'll say that again. Your invitation is to break those places and make them more look like Jesus. But also our hope encourages us to walk away from toxic things. Encourages us. Because hope invites us to endure. And in that endurance, the healthy thing to do is to create boundaries. And those boundaries have to be according to the gospel. When we create health boundaries according to the gospel, and we are stuck in places that are eating us, God's invitation is to trust in the Lord that He has all things working together. Even when you leave and you don't partake in those things. That is hope. That is hope. That is hope. That is hope. We don't quit. We actually don't quit hoping. We might quit participating in the toxic things. But we don't quit hoping. And a God who is able to bring healing or to bring people to repentance. We don't stop hoping on that. Because people are not projects. They're people that are humans to be known, to be loved. And the bunch of us, we're in toxic places because of what we've been through. I've had moments and seasons that I've had to walk away from toxic places. I worked at this amazing place a couple of years back. Really, really amazing. With great benefits. Like amazing. I had good titles. All those things that a kid graduate wants in life. But that was the most racist place I had ever been to. Hope invited me to get out. Because it's Jesus who was working. My getting out allowed a lot more people to have conversations about race. That probably might not have happened. If I stuck around. What am I saying? Be sensitive to what God is doing. Because sometimes we sit in a place thinking it's endurance. 
when it's just our heart is hard and we no longer have muscles to get up and walk. Now, that's for someone. That's for someone, I know it. That maybe the place you're at, God's invitation is like, man, this, this, I'm doing all things. Walking away is part of that all things. We don't dream through fear and anger pain. And we don't give in to our addictions because we have hope. And men, we should recognize our addiction to porn, right? Come on. Women, we should recognize our addiction to porn, right? Everyone, we should recognize our addiction to all the games we're playing, right? We should recognize our addiction to all these things we have created as a life, right? Because our hope in Jesus allows us to endure from giving in to that momentary satisfaction, the thing that we're addicted to promises us. i just leave that there. So what do I want you to do? I want you to answer this in your head, in your heart. What have you allowed to be the root of your hope when that place belongs to Jesus alone? Where are you discouraged? Where are you downcast right now? Psalms 42. It says, why are you downcast, my soul? Hope in God. Hope in God. Why are you discouraged? Why are you depressed? Why are you angry? Why are you bitter? Hope in God. Because in God, you're secure. You are loved. You are known. And God delights in you. So hope in God. Because if you hope in this country, this country will eat you alive. If you hope in people, you die from their rejection. We say that again and again, again and again, again and again. And what truth do you need to leave out to be more of who Jesus wants you to be? Is it truth that you are loved? Or the truth that you are forgiven? Or the truth that you are called? Or the truth that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? What truth do you need to repeat to yourself this week? And this is going to be a little bit hard for someone. What has God said that you are refusing to believe in for your situation? It is clear in God's word, but it's just not for me. Join our reading plan. Go to uversion or bible.com. The details will send them back online. But this is what I want to do. I want us to share in communion. And, and communion for us is really important because communion is about trusting God and being reminded of what Jesus did on the cross so that we could fully have our hope secure in him. If you have believed in Jesus, communion is that reminder for you that I belong to God, that Jesus paid for my sin, that Jesus is mine, and I am his.